The sermon title this morning is The Dangers of Favoritism. The Dangers of Playing Favorites. Verse 1, My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting, into your church, wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, hey, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, hey, why don't you stand over there or sit on the floor by my footstool? Haven't you made distinctions amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that He has promised to those who love Him? Yet you, church, have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? So reads God's holy and inerrant word. You may be seated. So what's happening here is what's before you is a letter. James, the half-brother of Jesus, is literally writing a letter to the church. That's his audience. That's the intended recipient. The church. He's not writing this letter to the world. He's writing it to the church. James has closed the last chapter, chapter 1. He closed that chapter by talking about true religion, true faith. His terminology terminology is going to change a little bit in chapter 2. However, he does so, he continues the the same thought pattern in chapter 2. The pattern being that the melodic line of the entire book of James is found in James chapter 2, verse 17. It won't be on the screen, but this will be the line that you will see all throughout the book of James. And here it is. This is, the, this is what you'll see. And I'll just read Scripture to you. James 2, 17. In the, in, the same way faith, in the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. That's the theme, right? If you truly are regenerated, if you're truly saved, there'll be evidence of your faith in Christ. So with that in view, James gets literally right after it in verse 1. And he does so with some intensity. So what does he say? Verse 1. My brothers and sisters. Now that's the gracious part, right? My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. So again, my brothers and sisters, he's speaking to Christians, he's speaking to the church family. He's saying, he's giving a command, an imperative that says, do not show favoritism. This is a command, it's not a suggestion. But as we read verse 1, it's there to set up the problem or the reason why he has to point this out. 
So in verses 2 through 4, we see the problem or the reason why he has to address the subject. I'll read 2 through 4. For if someone comes into your meeting and they're wearing a gold ring and they're dressed in fine clothes and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor person, go stand over there or sit over there on the floor by my foot still, that's terrible, isn't it? It's awful. If you, haven't you made distinctions amongst yourselves? And haven't you become judges with evil thoughts? So obviously, we see a stark contrast on the way people in the church are being treated the way that the wealthy are being treated as it compares or as it contrasts to the poor. Now, we need to understand that James is not just giving us some hypothetical illustration. We need to understand that this is actually happening in the church. Maybe not right here, but it's happened before. That's why he's addressing it. So it's not just a hypothetical illustration. Preferential treatment was happening in the group of churches to which James was in charge of. It's found its way into the church talking about favoritism. And favoritism in the church is extremely dangerous, and we're going to see that uncovered as we go through the text this morning. But James, as any pastor should be, as any Christian should be, he's concerned by what he's heard. He's concerned by what he knows this bad news about the congregation, how they're, the way they're treating prominent people. They're rolling out the red carpet for those who appear or maybe even have means. It wouldn't take very much for you to see if somebody had means if they decided to put on a little show for you. It wouldn't take very long at all for you to notice that. Now, there are lots of wealthy people who drive F-150s and you would never know, but I'm saying in this context, let's just think about something extremely showy. In this context, people would wear rings and lots of rings, right? Now, I don't think my wife would be really excited if I came up with like 10 rings, right? Like I'm Liberace. That may not do it for her. But back in the day, that was a way for us to distinguish, for the people to distinguish, is this person wealthy? So the rings have been busted out. It's obvious that people are wealthy. People know that they're wealthy, or they have means or influence, and they're being told, come to the front of the church, have the proper seats, we're going to look after you, we're so happy you're here, la la la. You get it. So the carpet's being rolled out to the wealthy. They're offering the best seat. But the poor have been told, just, just go stand over there. I mean, if you got to, I mean, just sit. I mean, just get out of the way. This is happening in the church. This is favoritism. That's why James points it out in verse 1. This is actually happening. The wealthy are being celebrated. And the poor are being tolerated wealthy are being celebrated and the poor are being tolerated now now this is not an indictment on wealthy people this is an indictment on the heart of those who treat people better 
based upon their financial means. You and I probably both know, if we lived any amount of time at all, no wealthy people who are extremely generous. This is a heart issue. This is, why do we make these decisions? What was your motive for putting somebody in the front row? What were you looking to gain? That's what's on display here. James knows this behavior, the behavior of favoritism, is unchristian. Let me say that again. Favoritism is unchristian. This is not, in keeping with the theme of chapter 1, not pure religion. That's not good. Hence why James' language here is strong and he's uncompromising. It's not just strong language. He's uncompromising in the way that he approaches it. There's no wiggle room here. He's a good leader. James is going to have none of this type of behavior in the church. And neither shall we. James takes the subject matter to a whole nother level. I mean, there's a whole nother level here, and you're going to see it. Another stratosphere he takes this to. When he says in verse 4, haven't you, church, made distinctions amongst yourselves and become judges with, listen, evil thoughts? You've made distinctions. You've judged people based upon how much money they have or what they look like. How dare you? In other words, he's saying favoritism is not just to be frowned upon or or, or gently discouraged. He's saying this is evil. Evil, literally evil like wickedness. Evil like depravity, depraved. Evil like it's vile. And ultimately, what it is, favoritism, is it sin. Sin that needs to be repented of. Sin that ultimately, if we allow this to happen in the church, we don't just give the person with means a seat in the front. What we're really saying is we're giving Satan a throne in the church. We're ushering him in. And say, we want you here. So whether we're playing favorites based upon one's finances or playing favorites based upon the color of one's skin, there is no discriminatory behavior permitted in the church. But I don't want to be foolish here and act like that doesn't happen in the church or that it doesn't happen at Lakeshore City Church. But for now, I just want us to Consider what God's Word says where there is no wiggle room for it in the church. So says the Word of God. Billy Graham, in 1953, allow me to read this to you, three years before Martin Luther King hit the national scene, and more than a decade before the 1964 Civil Rights Act, Graham, Billy Graham, he stunned the sponsoring committee of his, at his Chattanooga, Tennessee crusade. At a meeting of the committee, Graham railed against the customary practice of segregating, segregated seating. And then before one of the crusade meetings, 
the committee watched in astonishment as Graham personally took down the ropes separating the black and the white seats at the crusade. Perhaps you and I would say yes and amen to that. But maybe we have taken down the ropes, maybe in this church, and you say, I don't, Pastor, I don't see a lot of that happening in our church. I, I don't see uh, 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 racism in our church. I don't see that. I, don't, I wouldn't say I want you to see it. That's not what I'm saying. What I would want you to consider is maybe we've taken the ropes down in our church, but maybe we've put them back up when, in, in the community in which we live. We come home and we put our own ropes up where we live, and nobody can come in there. Maybe that's where the ropes are going up. Did you know that the number one people group within five mile, a five-mile radius here at Lakeshore City Church is Hispanics? I'm married to one. That's the number one people group. Number one. So if that's our community, it doesn't mean that white people can't come to Lakeshore. I'd get kicked out of my own church. It just means that's our community. So it would be obvious that as we're winning people for Christ and inviting our neighbors, we're going to see a lot more Latinos. Was that Rose? Oh, Kristen. That's good. But it doesn't mean that we just go after Latinos. It would just be a natural byproduct. It would would just be natural. It's what would happen. So everybody's welcome, but that's what we would see. But but James continues to drive home his point in verse 5. Look at this. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. When he says listen, I think what he means is listen. Like lean in. I've got something to say. Let's agree that he's not the pastor's not excited by the behavior of those in the church. So he says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters. James is appealing to them. He's saying, listen to me. Please listen to me. What is going on around here is really bad. This is not good. This does not reflect the Gospel. This is not reflecting Christ. And he says, let me remind you of something. And we see the reminder in the rest of verse 5. The reminder that he gives them, starting with, didn't God choose? He's reminding them, like, didn't you, you do know, uh, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich? Have you forgotten that? There's no caste system. Didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that He has promised to those who love Him? Didn't He do this? Verse 6, Yet, you, church, ushers, leaders, congregation, you have dishonored the poor. And when we dishonor the poor, we dishonor God. So he's saying, don't, don't, don't do this. God's not in this. So when he says, God did choose the poor, he's saying, God did choose the poor. God did choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith. He did this, and they know that He did this. He's saying God did make it clear that that even poor people, even Gentiles, all who repent and believe the Gospel will be heirs of the kingdom. 
that the gospel is for all men. That the gospel, the kingdom, spending eternity with God is available no matter your color, no matter your socioeconomic position, no matter, no matter, no matter, the gospel is available to those who repent and believe. He promises this free gift to all who love Him. Do we love Him? The mission of Lakeshore City Church is to love God. Love Him. Do we love Him? Do we love Him? How do we know if we love Him? I mean, how, how can you know if you love Him? Well, the Bible teaches us in John 14, 15, if you love Me, I mean, think about that. How clear is this? I wonder if I, wonder if I love God. Okay, John 14, 15. If you love Me, Jesus, quote, you will keep My commands. If you abide, if you obey, if you do, if you, if you serve Me, and you do so out of over... When we serve Christ, let me be careful how I say this, when we're truly redeemed, when we're truly regenerated, saved, there's joy because of what He's done for us. And in that joy, a part of that joy flows out and wants to obey God. Wants to, practically speaking, serve. Practically speaking, give. Practically speaking, make disciples because of what He's done. We're not saved by those things. But that's the outflowing of a person who's been regenerated. Yet there is much irony here in the verses 6b and verse 7 that needs to be dealt with. I think that's the exact word that James would say to the church. This is very ironic that, that you're acting this way. And let me explain to you what he would mean by that. But if we look at verses 6b, starting with don't the rich. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Question mark. Think about that. Don't, aren't these the same people that are dragging you into court? Verse 7. Don't they blaspheme? Is it good to blaspheme God? He's saying, don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? Christ? James is saying, why in the world, out of all the people, are you showing favoritism to the very people who are oppressing the church? Why would you do such a thing? Why are you marching people of high influence into the church, which many of them are not even converted? They're not even saved and you're marching to the front. They are using you. He's clear. Even in a church of our size, we get the occasional phone call of somebody saying, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm running for office. I can be there next week and I'll get in front of your church and I'll let them know about my... Yeah, no thank you. Yeah, no thanks. Yeah, how about we just keep the church the church and preach the Gospel? How about we do that? Right? How about we do that? 
There's an agenda oftentimes. James is wanting the hearer, those reading, to understand there's an agenda tied to some of this. Why are you stopping to try to impress man? Why are you stopping and redirecting your thoughts on man when you should take your affection and place them upon the One to whom your affection should be placed, which is Christ? Take your eyes off the man, take your eyes off the world, and place them on Jesus Christ. Redirect your affections to our glorious, mighty Savior, Jesus. Something else to notice if we're looking at the proper context during this time. Again, this is not an indictment on rich people. It's an indictment of the heart and how we elevate people based upon the color of their skin or their financial condition. And there's lots of other things we could tie into this if we wanted to. But James also wants them to know, like, have you noticed that as the Gospel has come, has gone forth, that many of those coming to a saving faith are poor? I mean, we're preaching the Gospel here. And people are, are, are being regenerated. They're being saved. They've got new life. They, 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 they love the Lord. And, and now you're saying, yeah, we like that you got saved, but we prefer that you look this color or we prefer that you had a couple of bucks. That's kind of what we want. So we want to be the church that reaches business people. And he's saying, no. He's saying, why don't you just do your job and look after those to whom God has given you? And why don't you love God and love those people? And when they come to you, why don't you make disciples so that they can go forth and make other disciples? Did you know that because the early church was making disciples, that it reached all the way to you and I? You understand that, that we have the Gospel because people have been entrusted with it and they've been faithful to the Gospel. But we're always one generation from losing the Gospel. The Gospel must, must be preached. So he's saying be faithful with it. So where are we going as a church? I mean, how could this be applicable to us at, at Lakeshore City Church? Sure, this is a letter and it was written to you know, James's constituents, James's church, churches. But it's certainly applicable for us. So where are we going as a church? Well, as I've shared with you, I've shared my mission, the mission statement with you, but what about our vision? What about the vision of Lakeshore City Church? How can we tie this into the teaching this morning? Well, the vision of Lakeshore City Church that in the next five years, Lakeshore will be a growing, praying, equipping, sending church. But those are just words unless we put feet to them, right? There's things that we need to do and we need God's help. But we would say this, that in order to do that, we must be on mission and stay on mission. And the mission is to that we exist to love God, love people, and make disciples. We have to love people. Care for them. Meet them right where they're at. So how can you, how can I, how can your pastor love people at Lakeshore City Church? How can we do that here? How can you love people 
in your community? How can you do that? Those are things to consider. But could it be, if I could take a step back, maybe two steps back, could it be that James is recalibrating the stinking thinking of the church? Thinking that we as a church must bow down to highly influential political community leaders that have agendas. Could he say, could it be applicable for him to be saying this? Stop doing that. Consider what you're bowing down to. And could it be, as we recalibrate our thinking, that that is a word for us in season right now? I don't know if you've noticed, but there hasn't been an offering basket passed around at Lakeshore City Church in 10 years. 10! That's a long time. Can we just... uh, Robert Vargas, uh, four months ago, he comes up to me and goes, "Hey, hey bro, that's how Robert Vargas talks. Hey, where's the offering basket around here? I said, it's in the back. Oh, cool, thanks, man. Why why would Robert do that? He wants to give. I didn't say, hey, Robert, you know, I've been checking, bro. (laughs) No, you see, people that love God, they love people, and they make disciples, and they know that it's the responsibility of the Christians, not the world, not the unsaved world, to look after the bride of Christ. That's what Christians do. Why? Because if we believe that God is going to take care of the church, do you believe that God's going to take care of His church? Then why in the world do we think we need to bow down to people that are not even Christian because they have money or political people No. Christians are and always have been faithful to give. Christians are generous. Kent Hughes said this, there is no such thing as a Christian Scrooge. It doesn't exist. It doesn't go together. We don't need charity from non-believers. Giving. Serving. Building up the church is a joy for the believer. Amen? Lakeshore City Church exists to love God, love people. All people. No matter the color or how much money they have. We are to love those to whom God will entrust to our care. It is our joy to do so. We are called to be open and pleasant to the visitors to whom God sends us. All of them. Now, let me ask you a question. If we are getting to church, and this is going to... i got to be careful. Dr. Wilson's listening and he's going to say something to me, so let me think about it. <laughs> if, if, if church starts at 10... And everybody shows up at 10.10. And 
nobody greeted the person that came at 9.50 that day. Or very few people did. What, what message is that sending? It could be bad. And I don't want to guilt you into it, though, because I know some of you have kids, and kids, they're kids. But I'm just saying, like, what, what if we said, you know, I love God, I love people, and, and I know part of loving people is to be there for people, to talk to people, to welcome people. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to die to myself and I'm going to make sure I'm available and I'm going to go look for people to minister to. Because that's, that, that, that's my joy. Well, preacher, what you don't understand is I'm what you call an introvert. Oh yes, in Second Opinions chapter 3, it says if you're, an, if you're an introvert, you don't have to do this. Yeah, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Um, like it does, it's not applicable to you. You just keep being you, bro. You keep being you, sister. Don't sweat it. I mean, they're just lucky that you're here. No. No, we, we love God and we love people. When you love God, you love people. Now, not everybody's easy to love. Some people are prickly and they stick you. But not everybody's like that. We're still called to love. Love. So Lakeshore family. James is talking to us. He's getting our attention. He's asking us to love our neighbors. To be the church. To love people in the workplace. Because we love God. But Lakeshore family, let me ask for your attention a little bit. Incline yourself a little bit more for the next five minutes or so. You and I, if we're in Christ, this is for the Christian. If you're not a Christian, this isn't for you. We exist to glorify God. We exist. What is your purpose? People, what's my purpose, bro? Your purpose is to glorify God. We exist to propagate the good news of the glorious gospel that has the power to save. We exist to be on mission in the church and outside of the church. We exist for the people of this community. Anthony now exists in Christian for the people of that community, Upland if you will. We should never be asking people when they come into the church, what can they do for us? We exist to serve the people of our community. We serve them. Not the other way around when they come in. We're not looking for something from them. We give to them. We give them, most importantly, the Gospel, the good news. But we serve them. We love them. We give them the good news of the Gospel. That's what we're called to do. We exist for the people of this community. We never ask what they can do for us. Jesus, as you may recall, and we say yes and amen to this, but Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost, but He came to serve, did He not? Now Jesus says, go do likewise, be My ambassadors. You are My plan to redeem the world. Is that a good plan? It's His plan. You see, brothers and sisters, in the Gospel, the true Gospel, the biblical gospel, there is no superiority. 
In the Gospel, there is no color. In the Gospel, it is all level at the foot of that blood-stained cross. The Bible teaches us something, and we ought to think deeply about this. That the Lord came into this world meek and lowly. He came into this world into poverty. Before He came into this world, where was He? He's always existed. He was with the Father. He came here. He chose to come meek and lowly. He was born into poverty. You do know that, right? He didn't have rings on His fingers. Armani suits. He was born in a borrowed stable. Born, He spoke the Word of God as they pushed off from that from that lake as he's preached the gospel, he spoke from a borrowed boat. He had a, to borrow a coin to illustrate a truth. He borrowed a donkey to ride into Jerusalem. He borrowed a room to celebrate the Passover. He died and he was put on a borrowed cross. It wasn't even his cross. It belonged to Barabbas. He was placed into a borrowed tomb which belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. And I would say this, that you and I, for lack of a better word, are living on borrowed time. So what, would we, what are we going to do with the time that we have left? And how can we make this passage of Scripture applicable not to say, that's a great word, I enjoyed it, I liked the way the Greek was pronounced, but what are we going to do with it as a church family, not you as an individual? as a church family, and then you as a church. Both are important. But we're in this thing together. Lakeshore exists to love God, love people, and make disciples. A team led by Miss Faye goes into our community each month to a place called Corona Care Convalescent Home. Every month, they go and they minister in that facility. Yesterday, I was there and I watched her team. My wife was with me. We watched that team minister. I mean minister. Not like, good to be here. I mean, they ministered. They were on their knees holding people's hands. Drying tears off. Hearing people pour their hearts out. I personally, we personally heard questions yesterday. I had to write them down. Uh, How can I be saved? Yesterday, a question from those in attendance saying, hey, I want to know how I can be saved. Are they making a difference in our community? I heard this question. I heard this spoken about. I've been complaining a lot, one person said. And I know better than that. I want to have more joy so I could be more faithful to minister to others in this place. 
Somebody hearing the gospel, hearing the good news, someone that's redeemed and has found themselves in a complaining mentality, always complaining, but they heard the good news. They were reminded of the hope they have in Christ. They were reminded that their life was no longer their own. And they said, I want to stop complaining and I want to minister more effectively. Miss Faye and her team, my mom's a part of that, Tony, Stabile, Annette, John, Joe Hunt, Miss Hennessy, there's countless others, Candace. You guys are making a difference. You're making a difference. But there was one conversation that happened yesterday that I thought would be fitting for our time together. That I thought would cement this passage and give us a, a response. Give us some fruit because of the faithfulness of people like Miss Faye and her team. Alice Chandler, you're, you're right there. Would you stand up, sweetheart, and wave if you can. There you go. Say hello to Alice. <coughs> yeah. Thank you, hon. Miss Alice is, Miss Alice Chandler is 93 years of age. She is Orange County's first ever female deputy sheriff. She lives in that convalescent home. Every time I go there, she comes and grabs me. And she talks to me. She grabbed my wife. My wife said, I love that Alice. Everybody loves Alice. But we had a conversation yesterday. You see, Alice was encouraged by our presence in her home. You see, to you and I, it's a convalescent home. Yeah, to Alice, that's her home. That's where she lives. But she's been encouraging me and my wife and others, and she told me a story. A story that had to do with her dad. Her dad's name is George. You see, George was not what I would call, you would call a nice man. He was, had a lot of things happen to him when he was young. Alice has given me permission to talk about this. There was a lot of pain in his life. He was abused. He became an alcoholic. He was abusive. And he was a racist. And he loved to use the N-word. But you see, one day, as you know, we're all on borrowed time, he found himself at the graveside of his wife who had passed on. And the words that he shared to Alice was, I just want to be with her. I just want to be with her. But you see, what you don't know is he had already been in a nursing home. And somebody in that nursing home in Orange County began to minister to him. She worked there. See, she loved God and she loved people, therefore she was on mission and she ministered and ministered and ministered. She helped him to not only see his hatred, but overcome his hatred. 
and by the grace of God, at 90 years of age, trusted Christ as his Lord and Savior. Somebody cared about their community. Somebody cared about people. Have you ever been in the presence of a racist? Or someone that hates or is angry? They're not fun to be around. I wonder if before he was saved, if he treated her great every time that he came in to, she came in to change his bedpan or whatever was going on. I wonder how many times she had to overcome his ridiculousness because of his hurt and his anger. Something tells me more than a few times, but I don't know the answer to that. But what I do know is God used that woman as part of the redemption plan in his life. So brothers and sisters, what we do matters to God. When we go out into our community, we are making a difference. It's not where we start, it's where we finish. If you want to be a part of Miss Faye's team, she would love to have you. But there are plenty of other ways that you can, you can respond to the Gospel, live out the Gospel in this church. That's just one way. We need each other. We need to stay on mission, be on mission and fight our temptation to go into our homes and pull up the ropes like the rest of the world does. We are to be different. So what are some things practically that we can do? Let me give you three things so that we can live this out. Number one, pray. Number two, evangelize. Number three, be hospitable. I'll put some, a little bit to that as I close. Pray. Pray that God would give you opportunities to reach out to those unlike yourself. Pray that God would give you loving eyes for our community. Evangelize. Ask God to give you opportunities to boldly proclaim Christ to those around you. Get uncomfortable. Number three, hospitality. Pursue diversity in your home. You know, sometimes we just think black-white. <clears throat> what if there's somebody on your street that's Indian and they cook curry or something, and it's like, wow! Invite them over to your home. It doesn't matter who they are. Just get into their homes. Invite them over to your home. Associate with other types of people. Let's look like our community. Invite yourself over. Invite them over. But invite yourself into their lives. So the last question, and I close, is how will you, how will Lakeshore overcome our own favoritism and bring people not only into our church, but bring them into our homes? And how will we treat them? I suspect we'll treat them better than the world. I suspect we'll roll the red carpet out for them because we love God and we love people. 
and we're committed to making disciples. Amen? Why don't you stand with me?